everyone. Welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap. My name is Corey. I'm here with my husband, Matt Locke. Hey. Hey. I'm back. You're back. I'm you're always back. back. And yeah. You're ready for more psalms, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's why you're pulling me in. Good. Can't escape. <laughs> Can't escape it. No. Psalm one thirteen to one forty six was our assigned reading right. for this week. So that's what we're gonna be looking at. Let's just jump right in. All right. So to start off with Psalm one thirteen, Psalm one thirteen to one eighteen um are part of what I believe to be the Passover liturgy. So they're connected connected thematically. Um Psalm 113 praises God for his amazing abilities, especially his ability and his tendency to reverse the fortune of the fortune of people. So essentially raising the poor from the dust and sitting them with princes, settling the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. So this ability of God that is unlike the ability of anyone else to change what was seen as socially impossible circumstances. So poverty and barrenness were seen as impossible to change, and yet God can change even these things. If not, if not God's will. If not, they like right. God wants like them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. God wants them to be poor. And it's like God wants this this is his king. Right. Like, a false view that God doesn't love all people, just like, oh no, this is God has kings, right? And then he also has pawns. Uh, false view of it. Anyway, sorry to add something. Right. So praising God for his ability to change the impossible here. Mm. Psalm 114, this is interestingly remembering God's control over water. Uh, it talks about how God was able to change the Red Sea, how he was able to bring water from a rock for the Israelites in the wilderness. So when you think about water as an element, it it is undeniably a mighty force, one of the mightiest, if not the mightiest force in nature. It, it has the power of life and death, right? We need it to survive. The world needs it to survive. And yet it is incredibly dangerous as well. Um, it's dangerous when it's gone and it's dangerous when it's here in excess. Um, so... Interesting, remembering God's control over the water, which was seen as the mightiest element um, in the earth. Psalm 115, this is all about how idolatry is foolish and how God is above all of those things. And there is something, though, to be said. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read verses 4 to 8. Sure. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, you know this, is that pagan cultures didn't see it this way. Like when they created an idol themselves, they knew that the idols were made of stone. They mm -hmm. knew that these idols did nothing. Mm -hmm. um, it was more in so... In and of themselves. In and of themselves, exactly. The, it was more so like a um, vessel or a way to get some sort of power. And you can even elaborate on that if you can. Yeah, so there were ceremonies. So you, you would create an idol, and then there were ceremonies to um, get the presence of the god to indwell the idol. Right. So the idol wasn't the God itself. It was a representation of the God. And then 
it was a proxy, a physical proxy for the God. So how you um, treated the idol uh, was symbolic of how you were treating the God. So they would dress it in the best clothes. They would put the, the most expensive jewelry on it. They, they would put elaborate meals before the idols, knowing that the idols themselves aren't going to eat it, but it didn't matter because it was in proxy for the God, which they believed would, if, if, if the God was pleased with them and with their sacrifices, would use the idol um, as a place of its presence. Right. So yeah. what makes this really interesting then is that like, the psalmists aren't identifying an actual cultural belief here. Mm-hmm. They're not like, oh, hey, like, why do you even worship these things? Like, in, like what they're doing yeah. is they're creating a commentary that you will become like the very yes. things. It's more of a commentary mm-hmm. than it is like a factual statement about what they're doing here because there are spiritual worlds. There mm-hmm. is a spiritual world and there, you know, there's demons that they're being deceived mm-hmm. by. So it makes it really interesting here that it's a polemic and it's not necessarily just like – you know, the, the the other cultures knew that these things didn't talk. It's mm-hmm. not like they they believed that it did talk. Mm-hmm. They just believed there was power through them because they were mm-hmm. they were just vessels of some of some mm-hmm. kind. But the psalmist specifically says, "Those who make them will become like them, useless, yeah. futile." Yeah, and it, essentially they're saying, "Look at what you're actually doing. Analyze your own practices <laughs> yeah. here. Right? Like you will become how you worship. Stone hardened, right? Useless, mm-hmm. futile." Vanity, meaninglessness mm-hmm. is interesting, mm-hmm. but that's just that. I know we have. We're gonna have to do a talk just on idolatry because there is tremendously, and we haven't even talked too much about this personally. But there's a tremendous um, uh, like amount of correlation between being made in the image of God oh. and then these pagan cultures creating images of gods. Oh uh, yeah, no, this, so this cool. that's a whole that's we're a gonna whole have day. To do a, a whole podcast. No, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's really cool. Sorry, I, I actually <laughs> know. What you're, I actually know what you're talking about. And yeah, it's amazing. I know, yeah, I know. We just haven't yeah. had a lot of conversations about it, so it'd be interesting yeah. to have one. With everyone else. Okay, Psalm 116. <laughs> Psalm 116. Uh, this is praise, praising God for deliverance from death specifically. And verse 15 has that famous verse, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. So it's all about praising God for deliverance from death. Psalm 117. This is the shortest chapter in the Bible. It says this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So there you go. Psalm 117. Psalm 118 is really intense. There's a lot going on in this chapter. There's a plot. There's call and response. There's verses that prophesy the Messiah. There's words that were used at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. When I say there's a lot going on, I really mean it. It opens up with verse one, which is give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then that verse is used as call and response. So what I mean by that is the psalmist goes, let Israel say his love endures forever. Now let Aaron say, so the priesthood say, um, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, so there's this call and response. It ends with going to a festival at the temple in Jerusalem to praise God. Uh, you know, talks about the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, which is a reference to Jesus. It's used in the New Testament. Um, 
Hosanna, Lord save us, is quoted at the triumphal entry of Jesus. There's just a lot going on. And mm. and also blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. Mm. That's used at the triumphal entry. It's here in Psalm 118. Mm. So lots of really cool stuff going on. Worth a study. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Again, it is an acrostic uh, poem, so it uses the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, Each letter of the alphabet gets its own eight lines of text, so that's why it's so long. The central theme, ultimately, if you had to boil it down, I would say is the goodness of, the benefits of, the usefulness of the, the law of God also called the instruction of God or the word of God. Mm. So talking about its its benefits. All right. Psalm 120. Psalm 120 to 134 is, is a group of psalms that are labeled the Psalms of Ascent, meaning that these were sung by pilgrims on their way to the temple in Jerusalem for religious feasts, the ones that happened every year. So Psalm 120 is a song of exiles, the exiles of Israel and Judah, longing to be free from evil people. Um, Meshach and Kedar are the places where this psalmist specifically claims to be from. Uh, and and it's interesting because they're two different places that are quite far from one another. So he's symbolically saying he chose, he chose two, places, two places that are very far away from one another. So he's essentially saying, far away, in exile. I'm away. I'm very far away from Zion, from Jerusalem, away from my true home. Okay. Psalm 121, again, is a psalm of ascent. This psalm reminds the pilgrim of God's protection on their journey. Uh, Verses one to two say this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And this is specifically um, in response to people who are basically saying this is a hopeless situation. And they're like, maybe, but where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So in other words, it doesn't matter if it's a hopeless situation. God is going to save us or God can save me if he so desires. Psalm 122, this is when the pilgrims have reached Jerusalem. Verse two says, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. And there's a cry to pray for the peace of Jerusalem uh, because it is the home of the temple. Psalm 123 is a prayer uh, for help from God, um, specifically identifying God as the master, the Lord of the world. Uh, These people want deliverance from contempt and from ridicule. Psalm 124, this is praising God for saving people from their enemies, um, for helping them to survive. Uh, Verses one to three say this, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. Psalm 125, this is a comparison between the righteous and the wicked. So the righteous have a plan, an eternal plan in God's kingdom, but the wicked will not remain. They will be banished from the land, from God's kingdom, from Zion. Psalm 126, we see Israel portrayed in a really sad or sorry state, but the psalm recognizes, again, God has restored Israel before. So he can do it again. So it's this plea to God for restoration. Um, And 
for the people to trust in God, to faithfully trust in a faithful God. Psalm 127, okay, a really interesting psalm because of what it compares. It compares building a home, guarding a city, and having children or building a family. Um, So here's verses one to three. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. So this psalm is really drawing out that God plays a role in providing for people a place to live, a secure place to live, and a family to carry on the name. So man has a role in these things, building a house, building a city, having a family. Um, He has a role in these things, but without God, it ultimately means nothing because God is the ultimate builder and sustainer of all. Psalm 128 contains a blessing for those who fear and obey God. And Psalm 29, just as the Psalm before it, Psalm 128, has spoken blessings on Israel, now Psalm 129 recognizes that the world has not blessed Israel. It has oppressed Israel, and uh, it pronounces curses on those who hate Israel. Verses 5 to 6 say this, May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. Psalm 130. So this is a psalm that recognizes sin as the greatest wall, the greatest barrier, the greatest chasm between people and God. So it's a cry to God to redeem people, to save people from sins. It talks about how God can forgive and how he does forgive so that we can serve him and that without his forgiveness, we can't even serve him. Um, Verse seven and eight say this, Israel, put your hope in, in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Psalm 131, this is a small Psalm, but it's about putting your hope in God and specifically Specifically identifying what your life will look like once you've put your hope in God, which is really interesting. Um, Here's some quotes from it. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. So this is a description about what your life looks like when you've truly put your hope in God, which is an interesting thing. Psalm 132, this links the Jerusalem temple to David and God's promise to have a king on the throne for from David's line forever. It opens with a cry, uh, a cry out to God to remember David. So there's a problem with the kingship. One of the kings of the Davidic line is not on the throne. And it ends with talking about how God promised, he he had promised the kingship to David and his descendants. So this seems to be, this psalm seems to be 
a plea to God to return a Davidic king back to Jerusalem. And if not this, then at the very least to keep the Davidic king established, depending on when this song was penned, of course, whether it was penned during exile when there were no kings or during a time maybe where a king was falling away. Psalm 133 talks about um, the unity among God's people being great. Uh, it, It likens this unity to the high priest getting anointed and the dew of Mount Hermon fall uh, of Hermon, sorry, falling on Mount Zion. So what this means, the high priest getting anointed would seems to represent religious health of the nation and the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion uh, seems to represent physical health. Mm. So the watering of the crops, the natural watering of the crops and the plants and all of that stuff. So religious right. health and physical health. How those two are intimately connected. And connected to the unity among God's people. Right. Which is interesting. And you can see Religiously that. healthy, physically healthy equals unity. Yeah, you see, you see that even in Ezra we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, in Ezra. And it's interesting. It is. Okay, Psalm 134. This is the last Psalm of Ascent. It's short. It's sweet. It's about people who are serving in the temple to praise God. So they've they've made it there. They've made it into the temple, and now they're praising God. Okay, Psalm 135 actually repeats, it's linked to Psalm 134. It repeats a phrase from Psalm 134. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. And Psalm 135 specifically goes out of its way to make a few points. One, God is greater than all gods. Uh, Then he does whatever he wants. And it lists the ways that God has chosen to humble different nations. And it talks about how he is greater than all idols or all other pagan gods. Psalm 136. This is another call and response psalm that was meant to be sung with a congregation. uh, If not a congregation, at the very least, groups of Levitical singers in the temple uh, calling and responding to one another. There's a line about God and then a response. Again, that response is, his love endures forever. So it moves from the creation of the universe through the exodus of Egypt uh, and into the conquest of the promised land. So um, in other words, it talks about how God made everything and then he saved Israel and gave Israel a home. And and what's amazing about that is that we often think about love as a New Testament thing, but it's Mm -hmm. like, it's just throughout the whole Psalms. Steadfast love is like, could be the most prevalent, phrase throughout but maybe that and praise but yeah yeah right general praise yeah exactly but it's one of the most common phrases i've seen throughout the, all the psalms is mm-hmm. st- his steadfast love and then also endures for his love endures forever so you mix those two here but um yeah his steadfast love and it's amazing to think about like even through creation his steadfast love and even through conquest yeah it's like that parallel it's like Obviously, like the conquest here, in judgment, there's love and judgment. In fact, love exists in the in the presence of judgment, not in the absence of it. Yeah. So it's like the opposite of how we think that love is. It's like, oh, don't judge me, then you don't love me. It's like, no, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. It's like love literally exists. True love incorporates judgment. That's right. It but needs God's it. judgment. That's right. Yeah. True judgment. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Righteous judgment. That's fun. Something to really think about because it, because like you're saying, it is very countercultural to our culture today. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's huge. Psalm 137. This is another psalm of imprecation. So 
a psalm of curse, essentially. It is a lament, a, a wailing, a weeping given by the Judean exiles in Babylon. So this is during the time of the Babylonian um, empire after they have destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Verses one to four say this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? So they're recognizing that they're under the judgment of God. Um, and it's not appropriate for them to sing these songs that were meant to be sung in the temple for their captors. Uh, the psalm ends with a cry for justice, uh, which seems to be in their in their mindset a, a repayment, act for act, of the evil that was inflicted on them. It says in verses 8 to 9, Daughter Babylon doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. So, It's meant to pronounce a blessing on the one who would execute justice on Babylon. And it's extremely brutal. Again, we see the depths of brutality that has occurred in the Babylonian exile. Um, this cry of a people abused and a people essentially traumatized by what they have just been through. Their very hope, the next generation, their children have now been slaughtered by the Babylonians. And so they are asking for judgment in like kind on, on their enemy. And again, placing it before God so that God can judge. Psalm 138. So this begins a section, another section on of Davidic Psalms. So claimed authorship of David, um, or at the very least about David, written about David. So this is Psalm 138 to 145 are these Davidic Psalms. Uh, still, these Davidic Psalms are probably placed here because thematically they are linked really strongly with the previous Psalms. Uh, themes of being in the presence of false gods, being in the presence of pagan kings of the earth. So verses three to seven say this, when I called, you answered me, you greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth, earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly, the lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Psalm 139 sees King David reflecting on the nature of God, specifically how he's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. And David asks God very bravely to search David, to know his heart, to know his anxious thoughts, and to test him. David wants to be led in the way everlasting, as the, as the last verse of the psalm says. And right here... <clears throat> what's interesting too is because he's exploring omniscience, omnipresence, and his foreknowledge, right, and his yep. power. What's important about that is that all those elements of God are what make him personal as well, as like undeniably mm -hmm. personal, as opposed to what a lot of people believe 
that God is impersonal and distant. Right. So it's like if God is all-knowing, if God is all, all omnipresent, if God is all-powerful, mm-hmm. he will also be personal. Mm-hmm. And you have even famous atheists like Anthony Flew, who died a theist, um, who just by logic draws this conclusion that it, that God must be all these things and mm-hmm. therefore must be personal, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like an undeniable fact. It gets into the whole idea of general revelation about yeah. like this is what just by simply meditating on God's creation, you can understand these things about God and therefore draw the conclusion that you can call out to him. Right. You can cry out to him and that it is intuitive to ask God to repentance. And it's, it's like we, we have to make it unintuitive because it's just built into who we are. It's built into how we perceive reality. So anyways, that's that's partly what this is. Like that relationship just inherently makes God a personal God. And mm-hmm. It's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. All right, Psalm 140. Uh, here is another Davidic prayer for deliverance. So the structure is ask God for deliverance. Declare that you trust in God uh, for whatever he does. And then asking for judgment on the wicked that you need the deliverance from. So there are some interesting elements here that are unique to this psalm. David compares or likens his enemies, their lying ways to serpents with sharp tongues and venom. He likens them also to hunters hunting him. So he employs some some interesting imagery. Psalm 141 continues the hunting analogy. So David's enemies are hunting him like an animal. But this time, David prays specifically that he will remain faithful to God. So he's worried that this pressure that's being put on him in his life is going to cause him to be unfaithful to God in some way. So he's asking for God to strengthen him so that he remains faithful. He asked God specifically to guard his mouth so that he will not lie like the enemy lies. He asks that his heart would not be drawn to what is evil. He asks that God would put righteous people in his life to correct him. Verse five says this, let a righteous man strike me that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it for my prayer will still be against the evil deeds, uh, sorry, the deeds of evil doers. So I think this is an element that we see in the Psalms, in the Davidic Psalms, but also in the life of David where he, he, he doesn't just have this flat view of his enemies mm-hmm. where he's like, they're bad, I'm good, God deliver me from them. Yeah. He sees his enemies in their humanity and when he reflects on it, realizes I could so easily become that. I could become like my enemies and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. So Psalm 141, we really see his response to that. Guard my mouth. Don't let my heart be drawn to evil. Put righteous people in my life to correct me because I don't want to become evil like this. Mm. Psalm 142, this is another a psalm of lament. This time, 
David is in a natural place of refuge. He's in a cave. But rather than seeing it as a place of safety, he actually calls it his prison. He feels very unsafe. He feels in desperate need of being rescued by God. And he emphasizes that God is the only true refuge. Psalm 143 Again, a cry to God from David to rescue him from his enemies, while at the same time, David also is acknowledging his own sin before God. Um, Yeah, verses one to two say, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. And then verse 10 he, he cries out to God. He says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 144, uh, just a few more Psalms here. Psalm 144 is really what it should look like when the king of ancient Israel and God had the proper relationship between the two of them. So God is praised as the one who gives victory to the kings. And specifically, David is mentioned here. So God is the one who gave David victory. Psalm 145, this is the last Davidic psalm. It exalts God as the true king. So David, even though he is king, he's stepping down and he's going, No, we all know that I'm not the real king, God. You are the real king. And this psalm is all about God's majesty. And it describes him in so many ways as worthy of praise, great, glorious, gracious, compassionate, trustworthy, all of these amazing things. And this last Davidic psalm recorded in the Bible ends with this. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Mm. So like you think I'm great? I'm not. Right. It's all about God. Psalm 146, our last psalm in our assigned reading for this week. This is all about, uh, very appropriate after Psalm 145. It's a call to put your trust in God rather than in any human being, king, or otherwise. Right. So we see who was exalted in Psalm 145, who was exalted as the greatest king of Israel. We see him turn his praise to God, and I am nothing, God is everything. And then Psalm 146, it's a direct challenge to all human beings to put their trust in God rather than in any human being or king or whoever. Right. Whoever. Awesome. All right, so that gets us to almost the end of the book of Psalms. Yeah. So don't forget to put your comments and questions below. We love reading them uh, and responding when we're able. Uh, And next week, we'll finish the Psalms and move into the Proverbs. That's really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. There's a lot more to talk about there. (laughs) There is. Yeah, yeah. A lot lot more to talk about in the wisdom literature. Yeah, that's right. All right, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.